Hello folks, I'm Joel Van Hoogen and this is The Bread of Life, a radio ministry of the International Mission Church Partnership Evangelism and its associate fellowship, The Bread of Life Church in Boise, Idaho. God is using our work to turn many to Christ around the world. We have full-time staff in Asia, Europe, South America too, and we have committed associates in these places as well as in Africa and North America. To learn more about this ministry, go to traincpe.org or breadoflifeboise.org. Well, if you have your Bible handy, turn with us to Romans chapter 3, verses 10 through 18. There we are given a look at the condition of every human being as they are in and of themselves under sin from God's point of view. It is not a picture of how God sees the person of God whom he has redeemed, for that person is seen by God through the righteousness of Jesus Christ. But it is a picture of what we are in our own flesh minus the great work of God. It is also a picture of everyone else we know, and it is stunningly terrible, something we have not seen but at a glimpse, something God sees without blinking, and without blinking, this is the person Jesus saw when he died for you. A number of things I want us to observe here from our passage right away, and the first thing I want you to understand is that Paul is describing individuals in their natural state, what they are in and of themselves apart from anything that God will or God has done for them. And so as Paul comes to this point in time, he includes himself in the description. Prior to this, as Paul is addressing their sin, he uses the word they. They do these things and they do these things. Or he even becomes more personal and says, you, you uh, moralist, you, O Jew, are doing these things. But now after having brought his indictment and now they've received it in silence, now that they're all knocked down before him, he says, we. To the religious Jew caught in the midst of the judgment of God for his sins, Paul steps in to identify himself with him. and says, are we, are we any better than anyone else? Are we any better than these Gentiles? Not at all. We have already concluded. In this case, I think Paul might see that the man has consented. It may be that Paul is speaking now apostolically. We have all concluded they're all under sin. But it may be that he's granting that this man has come to this recognition. We have all concluded that we're all under sin. And so the viewpoint that Paul is offering here, including himself, is the viewpoint of a natural person, a natural human being, apart from God and the work that God would do in his life to transform him and change him. And that's the view we have here. Here's the second thing I want you to see here. Paul is describing this natural man under sin, under the power of sin, under the pervasive control of sin, and as a result, under the judgment of sin. And here's the third thing I want you to note, and this is where we're going to put our focus this morning. I want you to notice, I think we ought to see here that Paul's tone has changed. At least in my mind, I recognize that his tone has changed. I've asked individuals, by the way, if they believe they're sinners. By this time in my life, I know it's over a thousand times. I've only had a few individuals say no to me that they're not a sinner. Most individuals will acknowledge they're sinners, but you see behind what they're saying. Or if you ask them, well, how do you know you're a sinner? They'll point out to everybody else's iniquities around them, or they'll give up some little minor thing. I remember one lady telling me that she was impatient with her lazy husband, and that's how she knew that she was a sinner. So you have a little contesting here, a little conversation that has to take place. One man told me he wasn't a sinner but he said, I, I don't have any sins. I said, you don't have any sins? Oh, no. He says, I just have vices. Well, what are your vices? 
well, women, gambling, drinking, and, and well, I have some news for you. Let's go back and take a deeper look at those things, and we'll see that they're sins. So there's a little conversation that has to go to get them to actually acknowledge not only that they're sinners, but the significance of that sin and what that sin really means. And at some point in time, you might get a, finally a concession from them. And actually, you can tell when the Holy Spirit is really at work in your conversation because the fruit is a little bit riper and it will fall more easily into your hands and they'll acknowledge their sin and, and go into depth about it. One of our gentlemen who planted the church that Ignacio is visiting this week in Ecuador, Mark Schaefer, tells it was one of his first experiences in Ecuador sharing the gospel and going to a home where he had asked a series of questions and the woman was doing her laundry. At every question, she would just say, yeah, do you believe in God? Yes. Well, what do you believe about God? But she wouldn't answer his question. She just continued washing the laundry. Do you believe that God loves you? Yes. Well, how do you know that God loves you? And she wouldn't answer. She would say yes, but then she would just keep washing. Do you believe that Jesus is the Son of God? Yes. Well, how do you know? What makes you believe that Jesus is the Son of God? No answer. No response. No dialogue. That's what they were going for. That's what they were told they should go for. And they looked at one another because he was with a pastor from the city that he was working in, and they kind of said to one another, should we leave? Maybe she's not. Maybe we come at a bad time. She doesn't seem to be listening to us at all. And well, let's continue asking the questions. The next question was, do you consider yourself to be a sinner? The woman's washing her clothes and all of a sudden she stops and she falls over the heap of her wet clothes and begins sobbing uncontrollably. Got spirits at work. He's convicting. He's dealing with her. Quick, rush in to tell her the good news. No, no. No, now that they're aware that they're sinners, the tone might change now. Now it's we are. We're sinners we can conclude that all of us are under sin. And now that you've seen that you're a sinner, we must go and look again. We must begin to see ourselves not simply as we see ourselves. What you see of your sin is just the tip of the iceberg. It's just a little bit of the mountain peeking above the clouds, but below it is a, a volume of sin that you don't recognize and you don't see that God sees. And for a moment, we have to be willing to go and, and see what God sees in ourselves. Had this conversation with people at different times when we get to this point in the conversation. I say to them, now listen, I know you've acknowledged me that you're a sinner and you've mentioned some of the sins in your life, but if I could show you right now a, a picture of what God sees in your heart and what God knows to be true of you in your sin, would you want to see it? And I usually hold a, a piece of paper up. Like, would you want to see it? And very often the answer is, oh no, we wouldn't want to see it. I said, well, here it is. I'll just lay it here on the table face down and I'm going to step out of the room for a little while and you know what I think? In a little while, you'll go back over and you'll, you'll want to at least take a peek of it. Well, actually, let's just take a peek of it right now. Let's look at this passage. And I take them to Romans chapter 3, verses 10 through 18, the one that we've just read. So now this is what God sees when he looks in your life. And I concede to you that you don't recognize that and you don't see that. And, and I must tell you that I don't see that either. I don't identify those things in my own life. But when God penetratingly looks at my life, this is what God sees as the substance of my being. I know you don't see it. If you were on a job interview and they had a little extra space on the resume, tell us a little more additional information about yourself. You don't write C, Romans chapter 3, verses 10 through 18. Right? You don't see it, you don't recognize it, and you wouldn't want anybody else to recognize that in yourself as well, but this is what God sees. This is what God understands. So let's go back to this passage and look at it for a moment. What we see here is 
the pause put together a string of Old Testament quotes, one after another. They come from Psalms, and they come from the book of Isaiah. They possibly come from Proverbs and Ecclesiastes as well. And first, what he gives us, it's kind of in three sections. And the first section gives us a general overall condition of all people who are under sin. The second section reveals that individual in their communications. And then finally, he gives to us a picture of that individual in their actions as God sees it. As God sees their general condition, as God sees them in their communication, as God sees them in their action. Generally and overall, this is what he says. They are not righteous. They have no understanding of God. They have no understanding of God and they have no true understanding of themselves before God. They don't know who God is and they don't know their condition before God. There's none that seeks after God to know him or to glorify him. They are, here it says, they are all unprofitable or worthless. And the word there is the idea of milk that's gone bad. Basically, they're only capable of producing things that are putrefied and rotten. All of them. And they don't do anything that is good. They don't do anything that is morally right, is what God sees. That's the general picture. And then he speaks of what God sees in our communications. And uh, here he speaks of the throat and of the tongues and of lips and of mouths. And we understand something here. Remember the Lord Jesus said that it's out of the fullness of the heart that a mouth speaks. That this is revealing what is truly at the core of our being, what we're made of. We had, as our scripture reading, Isaiah chapter 6, in which, again, Isaiah sees himself after he sees God. After God is brought into the frame and has the view of the glory and the holiness of God, in that moment he has this crushing after effect of a view of himself. And Isaiah says, woe is me, I am undone. That means I am cut off. For I'm a man of unclean lips and I dwell among a people of unclean lips. I've heard different people expound this and say, well, Isaiah must have had a, a bit of a potty mouth. He must have had a little problem saying bad words. And oh, no. Isaiah saw the nature of his own heart. He saw that out of his own heart it lined his mouth with that which was evil and sinful and unclean. He fell down before God in despair because of his sin, because of the nature. He saw himself as a man under sin and fully under its control. And so here we're told that what God identifies rising from the human heart is the stench of decaying corpses in an unclosed grave. He sees the smoothness of deceit in the mouth of an individual whose lips are concealing poisonous fangs that are ready to inject their poison to others. He hears the language of cursing and bitterness in all that they say. God says this is what emanates from the heart of all men under sin. This is what I see. And, and then next is revealed to us man and his actions. Bloodshed, murder, destruction, misery, chaos or lack of peace, total turmoil. In this situation, we might see that what is being evoked are images that we could pluck out and we could go to any point in human history and we could see moments in which all these things are taking place. Total chaos, total turmoil, bloodshed everywhere, destruction everywhere, murder everywhere, misery everywhere. That has happened and the earth has periodically been in the seizure of violence because of the violence of men at war and all these different places. And we could go and take in our minds and we could go back to different scenes of conflict and war that are taking place now in different places around the world or that have taken place in times past. Say, oh, well, there it is. There's a picture of what Paul was 
talking about and what the word of God is talking about, the nature of man. But what Paul does is he takes these horrific scenes and he deposits it in one single human heart. In any individual, in the individual that he's speaking to, the very one who's conceded that he's a sinner, and said, ah, oh, here's where all that war rose from. Here's where all that turmoil and destruction and misery rose from. It rose from your heart. It rises from us. We, us, all under sin. It's a portrait of ourselves. And he caps it all with this. At the end of describing the pagan who has given himself up to degrading morality in Romans chapter 1, verse 32, you'll remember that it concludes with this. Who, knowing the righteous judgment of God, that those who practice such things are deserving of death, not only do the same, but also approve of those who practice them. Here, Paul says the exact same thing, but more succinctly. He simply says, there's no fear of God before their eyes. They're brazen in all these things. They're unflinching in their readiness to live in this kind of sin and to give themselves over to these things. This is what God sees at the heart of the human being. This is the condition our sin finds us in, in and of ourselves. This is how you will stand before God when you meet Him, if you meet Him as you are in yourself, in your own nature, and have nothing to go between. But oh, that doesn't have to be the way you face a holy God in the end. There is someone who would stand as a mediator between you and that God, the sinless, perfectly righteous Savior, Jesus Christ. He's not only died for your sins, he has lived to give you his righteousness. And you don't want to come before God without him. Thanks for joining us at the Bread of Life, a ministry of church partnership evangelism and the Bread of Life Fellowship in Boise, Idaho. To contact us, go to breadoflifeboise.org and follow the links. Until the next time, God bless you.